Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Believe in Falcons. I'm your host, Will McFadden. And we've got a breakdown of the 53-man roster for the Atlanta Falcons on tap today. The Falcons have narrowed down and cut their roster from 80 players to 53 players initially, because that is going to be the big theme of today's show and pretty much the Falcons roster for probably eh, the next five months or so as the season rolls along. Everything's fluid. They are going to continue to add to it, um, and that is going to include the next 48, 72 hours. So, you know, pretty much everybody outside of Kyle Pitts, Cordero Patterson, AJ Terrell, and Grady Jarrett, um, even though it says you're safe today, probably not actually safe. So joining me to break down everything 53-man roster related will be Josh Kendall of The Athletic. Um, He and I have talked a lot about the roster kind of over the last couple of months, just Hey, do you think they're going to keep five guys here or six guys here? Hey, you know, what do you think about D Alford? He's kind of moving up the thing. Are you seeing the same thing? Like general stuff like that. You wonder what we talk about at training camp. Well, a lot of it is the 53 man roster. Um, So as much as we hate to love it, uh, it is dominating our lives this time of year. So we are going to really kind of just dig deep, break down different position groups, certain players who made it, who didn't make it. I think there were a couple of big surprises. Anthony Ferkser, uh, notable among them. Really curious to see kind of what the heck is happening there because I think most of us were were honestly genuinely surprised at Anthony Ferkser not making the roster. Some uh, other players who were right up there along with Ferkser, for me personally, were Abdullah Anderson and uh, Derek Tangelo. Anderson has been solid throughout camp since he joined the team. Tangelo really came on strong late, but I I do think that, you know, he had an early start and then he came on kind of late, but in the middle there, I wasn't as impressed with him as some other defensive lineman, but Abdullah was just strong throughout. So I'm, I'm curious there, but again, I said, everything is fluid. Everything's going to be in flux. So we may not have seen the last of those guys. And then of course the Falcons are going to add to their practice squad and we will see kind of that news and everything tomorrow. So, you know, we're just in a little bit of a a wait and see period. Obviously the big news though today is that they've got their initial 53 man roster. You can head over to the Falcons website. You can never head over to the Falcoholic um, to see the full 53 man roster. But Josh and I are going to dive into all of that um, and kind of poke at it from a few different angles and just share our thoughts and kind of instant reactions to today's big news. Um, and how it could impact the Falcons for the rest of the season. So here that comes right after this. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports contests and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including the NFL, Major League Baseball, NBA, NHL, combat sports like MMA and boxing, esports, like video games, obviously, and even golf. Want our live tour, PGA, probably both. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. 
Head to Bet Online today or use your mobile device to join and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, that's B L E A V 50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Josh Kendall joins me now, the beat reporter for The Athletic covering the Atlanta Falcons um, and somebody who I really love to talk kind of roster management, construction, all of those good things with. Josh, how are you doing? Doing good, Will. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So obviously you and I have talked once or twice about the uh, 53-man roster, kind of what we expected uh, they could do, you know, certain position strengths, weaknesses, numbers they could keep here and there. I think that this year was pretty difficult, all things considered. It was one of the more difficult kind of cutdowns to predict because there were a lot of spots where there seemed like pretty consistent competition. Um, but I think that we did have a, a decent pulse. And, you know, I use we as in the media, those who are kind of paying attention on what the decisions, maybe not what they resulted in, but what they probably were. That being said, was there anything that really stood out to you on first glance looking over the 53-man roster? We mentioned it just shortly before we started recording here, but but probably, you know, Parker Hesse and not Anthony Ferkser. I mean, Ferkser is a guy who comes from Tennessee, has got experience in the NFL, has got time with Arthur Smith, um, just felt like a guy who, when they signed him as a free agent, you plug and play. Um, you know, Hesse's a guy who's a converted defensive end from Iowa who showed some flashes in the practice squad I thought looked good in training camp but felt more like a guy that Atlanta could stash on the practice squad and let develop a little more yeah uh, this it's really because I Ferkser to me kind of fit the mold of you know like a, a Luke Stalker maybe more than a than a Hayden Hurst I don't know where his upside is there, but definitely one of these guys that Arthur Smith has liked to have, which is your second tight end, who's not necessarily your premier tight end, although I would say that Kyle Pitts is far and away the maybe most talented kind of tight end that he has had to work with. Usually they're a little bit closer in skill set, but there is a more defined one and then a number two who's capable of getting it done in a couple of different ways. To me, that was clearly Ferkser um, on this offense. So I agree. I, I think that him not making this 53 and and we'll get into, you know, maybe the reasons for that here in a little bit, but that definitely jumped out to me. Um, I thought some of the defensive linemen, them choosing to go with Timmy Horn over a guy like Abdullah Anderson or Derek Tangelo, that was a little bit um, shocking. And then another one that we'll get into a little bit uh, further on down the line is Jared Bernhardt making the roster. And I know that that was one that everybody was excited to see still, I think a little bit of a surprise, not not maybe now where we are, but certainly if you had said at the beginning of camp, he would be on the 53. Um, that would have come as a surprise to a lot of people. So you and I spoke midway through camp about the defensive line and whether or not specifically there would be five or six guys when all is said and done. Um, and I told you that I, I thought it would come down to kind of how they felt about the linebackers and which one they wanted to see more of. As the preseason progressed, I actually thought that the defensive line competition became much more interesting than the linebacker competition. That being said, they chose to go with five guys um, at each each linebacker spot. Did anything? It, do you have a sense for why that is? 
not uh, other than Nate Landman is just a better football player than I realized. I mean, they kept two two more linebackers than I thought they would. Landman in the, on the inside and Quentin Bell on the outside. Quentin Bell I knew mm-hmm. was going to be close because of his special teams experience. He's a guy coming in to the process that I thought was going to make the roster. And I kind of talked myself out of it chiefly because the defensive line depth looked not great, but better, I think, than all of us anticipated it to be yes. five weeks ago. I mean, I thought Anderson, you know, was a real sort of mid-camp addition steal. Tangelo's a big guy. Looks like he could be a player down the road. They didn't keep either of those guys. They keep Horn and, and the two linebackers. So, you know, I'm sure special teams is, is a factor there. Though Bell and Landman both can be very valuable on special teams, more than a defensive lineman. But, and I know you, you run a, a three-man front as your base, but keeping five, I, you know, I had them keeping six defensive linemen. Keeping five feels thin to me. We'll see what they do with the practice squad. Yeah, five, five, especially when one of your your five is Marlon Davidson, who has not been the most reliable, you know, to say the least, on the injury front. So that's definitely going to be something to to monitor, to keep an eye on. I I agree. I thought Tangelo, he's who I, I had both Tangelo and Anderson making this roster. Um, honestly, and, and I had Horn as my practice squad guy. So it's kind of funny that they ended up flipping that a little bit there. Of course, I think Anderson and Tangelo would make a lot of sense if they decide to bring them back, whether that is on the 53 man roster as part of, you know, maybe a move, um, or to the practice squad, if they clear waivers, I'm certain that, that that would be something they would be probably interested in. So Davidson might go on the IR tomorrow and one of those guys comes back immediately. We don't know what the severity of his knee injury is really. So you mentioned that, but you know, because of the way the rules work, if they put guys on the hour in training camp, they're done for the year. If they put them on the 53, then put them on the hour, they can come back in four weeks. So, you know, Arthur Smith said a thousand times, the initial 53 is just initial. It's going to change. It's going to change. It's going to change. That could be a change we see quickly. Another change that we could see quickly is something that I that you mentioned in your final prediction for the 53-man roster, um, and that would be John Fitzpatrick, you know, potentially also going on that short-term IR to start the season after kind of missing the last little bit of practice there, the final preseason game, never really got a good sense for, for why, but you posited that if Fitzpatrick went on IR, that would open up a spot for Parker Hesse in your prediction notes because you had Anthony Ferkser making this team. Now that we know Hesse's on it and Ferkser is not, do you think that you had the right idea, but maybe just the wrong players there? Maybe. Fitzpatrick is a real question mark to me. I mean, this is a guy who played four snaps in the first preseason game of the year, which to me didn't set off alarm bells, but made me wonder kind of what's going on there. You would think they would throw him in there and let him get a taste of it more than that right away. Didn't play right. in the last preseason game. I don't know. When they cut Justin, when, when, when Atlanta cut Justin Schaefer, the other late round draft pick out of Georgia, it, news that we found out sort of earlier in the day, it made mm-hmm. me wonder, might they get rid of Fitzpatrick too? Um, at the end of the day, just being big, being able to play that third tackle, clearly that has some value for Arthur Smith. I mean, he he needs a Lee Smith, big bully tight end. He, I guess they think Fitzpatrick can be that, but you're right. Fitz could go on our tomorrow, then we're right back to replacing him with a guy who's 
like with Berkshire, if you do that, who's not that type of player? Yeah, they would definitely be much more of a receiving tight end group uh, with Parker Hesse maybe being your your best blocker of the bunch. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out exactly how that He's would all shake out. It would be who? I said Parker's kind of a middle ground between a pass catcher yeah. and a blocking guy. I mean, I think probably Ferkser is a is a clear catch first guy. Fitzpatrick mm-hmm. is a clear block first guy. You know, maybe Parker Hesse fits in there because they like him. He fit, he fills some middle ground. Yeah, and then the other wrinkle here with tight end, and I'm curious your thoughts on this because it stood out to me looking over everything, is that they have Felipe Franks fully listed as a tight end. Are we buying that? I mean, clearly he would be able to serve as a quarterback in a pinch, but it's interesting that they didn't go three quarterbacks, three tight ends, and have it officially listed as as two quarterbacks, four tight ends. Do you Would you be able to hazard a guess as to why that is? Uh, no idea, but I, I I don't think it matters much. I had him making this team <laughs> right. as a quarter as a quarterback, but thinking he was going to play a lot more tight end. I mean, does Anthony Ferkser become less valuable because they they think Felipe Franks is that good? I mean, I think Felipe Franks was impressive considering mm-hmm. he was a quarterback last year, but I thought he was sort of your depth emergency tight end. That's how I had him in my mind. Do they think he's a step above that? Do they think he's potentially a second or third guy or however it shakes out? Maybe so. That would that would be really interesting because, you know, for as much fun as he was in training camp, he's the perfect training camp story. And that's right. different than necessarily being a real valuable option when the games matter in the fall. Like, yeah, he made some splash plays, but I don't know if I'm still there yet with him being your true prove it number two out there kind of, you know, half the snaps on offense, a quarter of the snaps on offense. He's more of your gadgety guy still in my book. But hey, you know, you're right. Maybe the team does feel differently or at least they want to expand his role and feel he's ready for that. Or this could all be nonsense. And Ferkser's back on the team in 48 hours and this is all good to go. So like you said, it is definitely fluid. And I think that is the the key point here to note. Um, but Jared Bernhardt, I want to circle back to him. He is the story, I think, out of camp. Uh, I've said it a million times. If it was Hard Knocks and they were in Atlanta, he would be absolutely the star of that show. And he's on the roster. But like I just said, there's a big difference in preseason and the regular season. What kind of role do you anticipate Jared Bernhard actually having with this team? And do you expect it to be anything beyond kind of special teams? No, not not initially. I mean, he's a guy that I've gone through several phases with, from thinking he was a neat story who was going to potentially end up on the practice squad to thinking mm-hmm. he's going to make this team, to thinking, no, I'm just talking myself into that because he's such a great <laughs> story, to thinking, no, really, he may he may make this team. And he was in my final a final 53-man roster. He's really intriguing to me. He's very athletic. He looks the part on the practice field. He's got sure hands. He's very valuable on special teams. I would think, as a coaching staff, the two hardest things to do, the the two hardest ends of the spectrum would be to fairly evaluate like unknown guys versus name guys. When, you, when it really comes down to it, if you're making those cuts, you know, I'm looking at a guy who was drafted in the second round two years ago versus a guy who's off the street. Can I really be, you know, completely blank and look at them as completely equals 
when I'm making my evaluation. So I think there's a danger always that you've got to fight, you know, because everybody says everybody's the same once they get in the building. So I think you probably have to really Mm -hmm. fight yourself for that. I also think at the other end of the spectrum, there's a danger of falling in love with how smart you are with, you know, look at this guy that we found. Look how neat he is. We're geniuses. You know, look what we've done. I'm not saying Jared Barnhart is that guy because he's clearly, I mean, this is an athletic dude. This is a guy who I think has potential. But, you know, like you say, we've seen a ton of guys look great in the preseason and never heard from him again in the regular season. I think Jared Bernhardt starts as a special teams guy who, when they need a sixth receiver, when they need some depth, he comes in. If he keeps making those plays, then he gets more time. I think it is very clear, you know, how much that the coaching staff does really like Jared Bernhardt. And I, I really think that the second preseason game when he was in there and, you know, mostly working with Desmond Ritter, but in particular, he ran a couple of those corner routes. um, And it was right in the middle of Arthur Smith kind of being in the zone against that kind of cover three look. They were talking a lot about it on television, but Jared Bernhardt was the recipient of some of the best plays during some of these drives that Desmond Ritter was in there. And I just kept thinking to myself how uncommonly proficient and professional it looked, you know, even in the preseason when things go well, they don't go as well as they would be if starters were executing a certain play or whatever. There's usually still some hiccup or one other note to make about how it could have gone better. But every time he ran that route, it's like he was where he was supposed to be. The ball was delivered on time. He caught it well, and then he made a move afterwards. And it was like, you can see how there's progress to be made. And this ball of clay is certainly one worth working with. And I really do think that it sends a good message to the locker room. If you are a coaching staff that does preach a culture of competition, but also accountability that having guys like Jared Bernhardt, Timmy Horn, D Alford, you know, from the CFL, having them make the roster does kind of back up that message a little bit where it's not just lip service to the media. It is, Hey, we're going to reward you. It doesn't necessarily matter if you're an undrafted free agent or a CFL player or a second round draft pick. I agree. I mean, they, they talk a lot about that. So you have to, if you're going to talk that much about it, you, you've got to put it into action or at some point people are going to figure it out. Exactly. Yeah. You can't be phony with that. And because they will figure it out quickest inside of the building. I mean, nowhere else will they know right. whether or not you're going to, you're going to walk the walk than inside of that locker room. So how much, I, I know that we, we touched on this a little bit. Um, and really, I mean, this is an answer that's that's probably hard to actually define, but just how much do we anticipate the roster changing in the next 48 hours? You know, there are a couple guys that we have talked about that could you could see them going on IR, at least for a short-term stay. But then this has been a roster that we have talked about openly, you know, throughout the course of training camp in the preseason, saying they're going to be looking at all of the teams and all of the cuts around the league. They have the eighth spot on the waiver wire. They could really choose to take some of these players and add them directly to their 53 man roster, certainly to the practice squad as an option. But for the 53 man roster specifically, how much turnover do you anticipate in the next couple of days? Well, my guy, I give my guy, Jeff Schultz, a shout out here. He said a couple of days ago, we were trading texts and he set the over under at four and a half 
for <laughs> roster moves post the initial 53. And I think that that's, that sounds about right to me. That's a mm-hmm. lot, but you know, this is how, this is kind of how it works because we mentioned a couple of guys who might go on IR. because you know that the Falcons are looking for defensive tackles. I'm happy for Timmy Horn that he made this initial 53, but I don't think he should be very comfortable with that. Right. A lot of veteran defensive linemen got cut today. You could see them as early as, you know, tomorrow they're a Falcon and Timmy Timmy Horn goes to the goes to the practice squad. So, you know, I'll be surprised. Very, I'll be real surprised if it's fewer than three. I mean, and you, I don't think we're getting to ten, but I think I think you land <laughs> three and five, three and six. Yeah, even six would feel like a lot. Um, yeah. But but again, like for as much as as I opened up the show saying yeah, you know, it was a competitive training camp. It was a more difficult kind of roster cut down experiment than, than usual. It was really just kind of self-contained within the Falcons. And yes, they had a couple joint practices, but it was against the Jets and the Jags. It's not like they're, they're playing the Rams and the Chiefs out here. And there's still a lot of good players around this league. You, you look at, at the Jets, that they had to cut and release Bradley and I, who made a made a fumble recovery for a touchdown against the Falcons and is considered, you know, I think a good young player. That's just how deep the Jets are at the defensive line spot. And the Falcons could certainly be a team that says, hey, we're not that deep. We had a competition between four guys who, you know, we liked in camp, but we think that your guy is better than all four of them. And we're going to just take him. Thank you very much. And I think that there's a real possibility where, again, six is high. But certainly, maybe four opportunities like that present themselves. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd I'd be surprised, you know, from the minute Eddie Goldman retired, mm-hmm. I think we we all I, I did, and I think everybody else expected them to add a, some vet, a veteran defensive lineman. You know, they're still as as much as I think we 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 both liked Anderson and Tangelo, and clearly yep. the Falcons liked Horn more. These are still young players, you know, that makes that scares you on the defensive line, I would think. So I, I think defensive line is the most the most likely. Yes. And and that's exactly kind of what I wanted to ask you next was if they were going to make some moves, what spots would they target most heavily? I, I think defensive line is is a no brainer you could make the case because if we are certainly working backwards and saying, all right, last on first off and some of these spots where we were saying, okay, you know, Nathan Landman, great, great addition there, but you know, he was probably on the bubble. Quentin Bell, same thing. However, I don't look at linebacker because of the makeup of the other eight guys outside of Landman and Bell. I kind of want to see a lot of those guys play this season and I want to see them get reps. So that doesn't feel like necessarily the best spot to then add another guy to the mix because you already got eight guys that you want to see, you know, a lot of this season. Are there any other spots besides defensive line that you think are clear, obvious places where the Falcons might want to add some help outside help given the roster cuts that have happened today? I don't think so. I mean, let's just go from the, let's start at the back and go forward safety. They obviously nope. like Richie and Jalen as your starters. Eric Harris yep. is a guy that they're comfortable with. Dean Marlowe looked good in camp. They played him a lot. Cornerback, those six guys. D. Alford is a player. D. Alford is not just a feel-good good. story, although he is that. He He's a player. I don't think any of those six guys are looking at moving on. You mentioned the top four inside linebacker and the top four outside linebacker feel very cut and dry. So 
we're back to the defensive line. And maybe it's not Timmy Horn if they sign another defensive lineman. Maybe it's not Timmy Horn that they move away from. Maybe it is a Nate Landman. Um, probably mm-hmm. not Quentin Bell. Landman's probably the first you know target there if you go outside of the defense, defensive line to cut because you do have a lot of guys that you want to see play at inside linebacker and a lot of those guys who can also play special teams. So I don't think so. I mean, I think you're really circling defensive line. Uh, Offensive line, obviously any, you know, I guess something crazy could happen. I think that's a spot where they're like, I think every team in the NFL is constantly looking to upgrade their offensive line, like at all times. (laughs) that's that's a spot where a team a team makes a move in week six and i'm like yeah it's an offensive lineman i get it you know what so that they're like any option is always on the table for me when it comes to the offensive line i thought afidi was a guy who had a chance to start caleb mcgarry has played really well and kind of taken that option off the table but i haven't seen Mm -hmm. and lord knows i am not a football talent scout especially on the offensive line so (laughs) jermaine afidi may be great but I can promise you this: somebody's going to kick the tires on Alex Leatherwood, who the Raiders just up and cut. You know, so yeah. you know they've already cut Justin Schaefer. You know, you're probably okay. Is Jalen Mayfield safe? I guess. But again, we we just saw the Raiders cut Alex Leatherwood. Would it be shocking if the Falcons moved on from Jalen Mayfield? I don't know the in, the severity of his back injury. I don't know what mm-hmm. his sickness is. I don't know any of that. There's a ton of information we don't have. But if there's a guard that pops up, I mean, Josh Andrews, who yep. was just about to start for this team last year, is available as of now or, you know, as of two or three hours ago. Again, I, th- I think you're right. Along the line of scrimmage, it's hard to know how they really feel about any of these guys. And it's not it's never terribly surprising to see them juggle. Yeah. And because like you're either set along the offensive line and honestly, even the best offensive lines, there's there's usually one weak link. It's very rare that you feel like, you know, Dallas in the early part of this last decade where it's like all five spots just have pro bowlers on them. Um, And and GMs usually like to mess right around with the offensive line. But yeah, it would. I know I saw Tori McElhaney posited on her kind of like five moves piece afterwards. Could Jalen Mayfield with his lower back injury be another candidate for an early IR spot that would potentially open up a run for somebody like Josh Andrews or, you know, an Alex Leatherwood type or somebody to come in maybe on a little bit of a trial run. And then you figure things out from there. I think all of this is in play wide receiver. And and this can be one of our final things. Carol Hodge and Demir bird. I think we're absolutely the right choices. We are seeing you know, reports that the Falcons were potentially in talks with LaVisca Chenault or with the Jags for LaVisca Chenault and, and a trade there. Preston Williams released by the Dolphins. You know, apparently there were talks about teams inquiring uh, about him. Do we think that there's another move to be made here, a wide receiver? Or do you feel like it's pretty set with Hodgebird and Bernhardt as the final three? I think Bernhardt would probably be the first out among those three, but any chance at a wide receiver addition? I th- I think so. I mean, we we talked all off season about how all of the Falcons wide receivers are going to be six ten or taller. Look at all of the giants, <laughs> and you know they cut Geronimo Allison, they cut Alden Tate. Yep. Um, there's still plenty. There's still plenty big there. They're still bigger than they were. 
Um, and I think they probably, I think in their heart of hearts, they liked Kadero Hodge more than they thought they might when they brought him in. I mean, I think that this is this is a guy who who looks like a starter. So, but you've still yeah. got Oz, who is going to stick with this team. Everybody loves Oz. Demir, Bernhardt. These are these are not the big guys that you heard us all talking about. Me, number one, you know, <laughs> transform this wide receiver room into a bunch of giants. The, f- the final product is not that, but it looks big enough. If they went with these six guys, you'd feel like they were better off than they were last year, but you're right. I mean, you know, Arthur Smith still loves big guys, and there's some big guys out there who are intrigued. Yeah, but I, I think that the right call was made um, when it comes to the wide receiver position, I do think that Hodge and Bird were were the two best receivers outside of the guys, you know, Brian Edwards, Lamdes, Keyes, Drake London, we knew were were on the roster. Those two were the best uh, outside of Jared Bernhardt among all the receivers. And so I, I'm pleased that they made it. Like they they kind of they kind of earned that spot. And so I'm never gonna be upset if a player who earned a spot makes the roster. It's as simple as that. Um, yeah, Josh, they, didn't force, any, they didn't force the whole big wide receiver thing. No, yeah, and, and that's, I mean, on the one hand, n- no, I, I don't think that they're making roster moves just to kind of say like, hey, what narrative, you know, like they're not going to do that because there's right. much more at stake. That being said, it is funny that it kind of worked out like that. Um, and I'm sure that they're a little pleased that it did. Uh, but yeah, I think the best players at that spot, uh, at least through camp, got the roster. Um so, Josh, any other parts of the 53-man roster that we should touch on before, uh, before we get out of here? There's nothing else. I think we, I think we covered it pretty, pretty well. I mean, you know, there was just there was no drama in the special teams. Liam McCullough, nope. who's a guy who's got to prove himself in Atlanta, I mean, just got so used to Josh Harris as a plug-and-play long snapper forever. I think some Falcons fans, whether they realize it or not, are going to look down and see a different number at that position and kind of wonder <laughs> Kind of wonder what's going on. Um, it's a vital position, but clearly McCullough has done, you know, everything they've asked him to do in camp. We touched on every other position. I mean, this is, you know, Mariota and Ritter. Those are no-brainers. Franks is your emergency guy. Don't see any big movement there. So, uh, you know, I, I I think we've touched on all of the hot spots. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think it's notable that Quarterback, like we've talked about quarterback all preseason, all training camp long. Fortunately, doesn't need to be brought up here. Um, there was a camp battle, but turned out not to be much of one. And I think the Falcons are actually pretty pleased with how everything turned out quarterback wise. Do you agree? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think considering the situation they got themselves in from going after Watson, sort of having to trade yeah. Matt Ryan, they couldn't have landed in a better spot. I think both of the quarterbacks looked pretty good in the preseason, which is what you would hope for. I think that they've got a, an ideal situation in terms of, not that this is how it's going to work out, but you look at it and you think, okay, Marcus Mariota in the ideal world for Atlanta is a bridge quarterback to Desmond Ritter, who's better than the number 74 pick and is the quarterback of the future in Atlanta. You couldn't ask for a better bridge guy than Marcus Mariota. He's a good, solid starter. He's a guy who's going to do everything he can to help Desmond Ritter play well. He's going to be great in the locker room no matter what you end up doing with that with that position. So I think Atlanta, after everything, ended up looking pretty good at quarterback, all things considered. <laughs> yep, I completely agree. Uh, Josh Kendall, thank <clears throat> you so much for, for joining me. Everybody, please go follow him uh, at 
Josh the Athletic on Twitter, and you can go read all of his amazing work at The Athletic. Uh, anything else you want to say before I let you go, Josh? Just forgive all the coughing. <laughs> nah, man, you uh, you are a champion throughout training camp and the preseason. Now your reward is here. Four more months of football. So <laughs> this is this is when it all truly begins, my friend. So thank you yep. so much for uh, for taking the time today. Thanks for having me. That will do it for today's show. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us throughout a pretty hectic uh, last couple of five days. You know, I, I looked back at just how many episodes we've published recently. It's been a lot. Um, so thank you all so much for continuing to listen. If you do, um, not going to be as, as crazy, not going to be as many episodes coming from here on out. We're going to hit more of a regular season cadence and you will have a preview episode um, of each weekend's matchup coming from us on Thursdays and then Sundays after a game. Um, Ovi and I will hit the mics and give you our instant takeaways, feedback, thoughts, analysis, all of that great stuff. Of course, you know, if it's a late Sunday night game, Falcons aren't playing in many of those this year. We may not get it up until uh, till Monday morning. So bear with us on that for the few, few times that that happens. Um, but in the meantime, up until the first game against the New Orleans Saints, which I guess hate week is is starting right now. So everybody just dial up the anger, maybe like 22% for right now. Just just be a little bit more agitated because uh, it is hate week after all. So yeah, but in between now and then, a um, couple more things coming down the pipe that, that we're working on. We are nearing our 100th episode. I believe this is uh, number 98. So we're going to do a mailbag. Um, 100 episode mailbag. It just so happens to fall right ahead of the season. So please send us your questions. Uh, you can shoot either me or Ovi uh, a DM or a direct message. Myself at Will McFadden, um, Ovi at Ovi, Ovi Mahaley 34. Um, or go ahead and email us, believeinfalcons at gmail.com. That's B-L-E-A-V in falcons at gmail.com. Um, and get your questions in for our 100th episode mailbag that will be just around the corner. So. As always, today's podcast is presented by Bet Online. Thank you so much to them. Thank you so much to you guys. And as always, take care. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.